0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor,
1: teacher, and author Phil Moser. Well, we are in the middle of what we call our 40 day spiritual discipline challenge. And we spoke about that last week and introduced it as having three aspects. One is to maintain a daily time in the word, one is to memorize scripture for everyday challenges, and one is to make prayer your day-to-day pattern, and we talked about it that way so that you would see these are things we're supposed to do daily. Now, if you weren't with us last week, we encouraged everybody who was making that commitment to stand up and we prayed for them, but that doesn't mean you have to wait until next year to start the 40-day spiritual challenge, all right? We would encourage you to pick that up right where you are. Now, we also said that we wanted to provide certain resources. If you were willing to make the commitment that we would provide certain resources for you to do that, and so the next several Sundays of messages are providing for you some of those spiritual resources. I was listening to Dr. Howard Hendricks, series by him this past week, who was probably one of the most influential individuals and getting people into the word for for themselves. And he was telling the story that he said routinely when he would ask people if they were into the Bible for themselves, they would give, they would say no, and then they would give two answers, why not? They would say, I don't know where to start. And then they would say, I don't know how to do it. So my goal today is to take about 20 minutes and we're gonna go fast. For those of you who are note takers, I'm asking forgiveness in advance, all right? Um, We're gonna go fast. I just wanna introduce you to this idea of how to discover God's word for yourself. You say, well, Phil, that's not a problem for me. I just open up the Bible, I pray, I take my finger, I drop it down, and whatever whatever I see right there, that's what I do. Well, be careful, because I read about a guy who did that. He opened up his Bible, dropped it down, and the first thing his finger landed on was Judah went out and hung himself. And he said, "I must not have heard from God properly." So he shut his Bible. He said, "Let me try this again." He opened it up, and he dropped his finger down, and it said, "Whatever thou doest, do quickly." Right. <laughs> and he said, "Well, I don't know what to do. Let me try one more time." He shut his Bible. He opened it up, dropped it down, and it said, and he and he dropped his finger, and it said, um, "Go thou and do likewise." So here's what I want you to understand. If you want to discover God's word for yourself, then you're going to have to make a greater effort than just dropping your finger into the text. Notice what Proverbs 2 says. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So let me introduce you to three words we're gonna talk about for the next 20 minutes or so. Here they are, observation, interpretation, application. I know this is a very kind of different feel for a message than what you're used to where we just stop on the text, but I just wanna underscore for you, as your pastor, I have been praying more than anything that our people would get into the word for themselves so that Sunday just wouldn't be here's the meal I'm eating But all week long, we'd be learning, we'd be discovering. Now, I want to introduce you to those three words by telling you a story about two towns, a river, and a bridge, okay? Two towns, a river, and a bridge. And then we're going to come back to these words. So here it is. I'm going to call the one town Bible town, and I'm going to call the other town your town, okay? Bible Town is the town where the Bible, it's the, it's the picture of where the Bible was written, all the people of the Bible, all the characters of the Bible, all the culture of the Bible, all the things that you see when you read your Bible. That's very different than your town. Okay. Your town has things like McDonald's and cell phones and kids' soccer practices and, and a car payment and a mortgage and paying for your school bills. Your town has all of that. Bible Town didn't have any of that. And what exists between Bible Town and your town is a river. And that river has things in it like culture, language, and time. And so you and I are opening up the Bible, reading, in Bible Town. And then we're trying to understand how it applies to our town. And the two seem very different at times. So one of the first things you're going to want to do is observe. So this is uh, you, by the way. Nice beard, okay? This is you, by the way. And you are the character that is sitting in your town. And you'll notice that you have on glasses because you need to observe what is going on in Bible Town. Before you just open the Bible and drop your finger into the text, you want to say, okay, what is going on when I read the text? So that answers our first question for us in observation, which is, what do you see? Before you just jump to the Bible and say, I don't understand it. I tried to read it. I don't get it. Let me grab a commentary. Let me Google. What does this verse mean? Before you do that, just pause and observe what is there. You say, well, Phil, I don't even know what to see. Well, if I were to take five minutes, that's all I'm going to take, if I were to take five minutes and explain to you how to observe in the text, I would first have to introduce you to how the Bible works, which is what I'm going to do, okay? And I want you to take your Bibles, you ready for this? Take your Bibles and turn to the table of contents. Turn to the table of contents, and let me introduce you to these numbers. 175, 5, 17, 5, plus 22, and together those numbers equal 66. 66 books in the Bible. You say, Phil, why did you break the Bible down like that? Because the Bible doesn't read like a Tom Clancy novel, okay? It doesn't get you to the end of one chapter, and you say, I can't wait to get into the next chapter. If you open it up thinking it was going to read like a Tom Clancy novel, once you hit all of those names, you probably said... I don't know even I thought I was reading the Bible now I'm reading a phone directory okay we don't really understand how the Bible works so if you understood how the Bible worked you'd be able to ask the right kind of question you'd be able to observe the right kind of things so here we go in the old testament you have 17 5 17 that's 39 books those 39 books are comprised of history poetry and prophecy history, poetry, and prophecy. Now, in your table of contents, just take a look. Those first 17 books in the Old Testament, Genesis through Ezra Nehemiah, through Esther. Genesis through Esther covers 17 books. That's the history. And what makes it a little confusing is sometimes some of that history overlaps and repeats itself, tells itself from a little bit different perspective. But it's important, we're gonna come back to that in a second, that's history. Poetry is very different in the Hebrew language. I like to say that, you know, you and I say, roses are red, violets are blue, I love the eagles and so do you. But Hebrew poetry goes like this, roses are red, violets are blue, some poems rhyme, but this one doesn't, okay? That's how Hebrew poetry works, right? But it isn't trying to rhyme in rhythm, that's why we don't recognize it as poetry, but it is doing something else, which you'll see in a second. Prophecy, we tend to think of prophecy as, the, as someone foretelling the future, and there is some of that in it. But the prophets of the Old Testament, 17 of them all together, literally often just told the truth. That's what they were doing. They were prophetic voices speaking the truth to their generation. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Now notice in the New Testament, you have five books of history, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. And you have 22 letters. You say, what about the book of Revelation? Well, the book of Revelation starts out as a letter to seven churches. So I've included it in the letters. Now, this is really important. If I were to pick up a history book and I would observe something, I would ch- try to learn from the history book, I would, interp- I would look at it very differently than if I picked up a, a, a book of poetry. And I would look at both very differently than if I picked up a series of sermons, like prophetic messages, and I would look at those very differently than I'd look at the letter that Kim wrote me when I was in college. See if I'm going to observe, I need to understand what it is that I'm actually observing. Let's head back to town, okay, so we're going to take a look at history. Notice you have Old Testament books of history and New Testament books of history. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you're reading history. Now, one of the first things you understand when you're reading history is that there you are uh, thinking and observing what's going on, you understand that there's a lot of people in the Bible. There's a lot of people in the Bible. In fact, there's 2,500 proper names in the Bible. Okay. And that's important because what you want to understand is that when you're observing the historical books, you want to observe the relationships. This is so important. You want to observe the relationships that happen between the people, each other, and also the people in God, and how God engages in those relationships. Let me just take a historical book in the Bible and explain it to you. Let's take the book of Genesis for a moment, okay? Genesis has 50 chapters. If you're a scientist, you'd think, man, Tell me about how the world got started. And God says, okay, I'll tell you about how the world got started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? You say, okay, but I'd like to, if there's 50 chapters, you've got to at least spend half of the book telling me about how the world got started. God says, sorry, two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, that's all you're going to get, Okay. If you're a theologian, you might say, listen, I want to know about how man fell into sin and how they broke this perfect relationship and what happened to them in the image of God. You've got to at least give me a third of the book of Genesis telling me about how that happened. God says you get one chapter, Genesis chapter 3. You say, well, what is Genesis about? Genesis 1 through 11, creation, fall, flood, and the nations, the spreading of the nations. If you're an anthropologist, you'd say, man, I'd like to know a lot about how all of those nations got started. God says you get 12 verses, okay, Genesis 11. Here's the point. The rest of the book, Genesis 12 through 50, is about four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all of their relationships. So when you read history, the historical books, one of the first things you want to observe is just, you just want to say, let me look at the relationships. Now let me show you that in a text, okay? You're in your table of contents, but if you want to flip over to Genesis 3, you can, All right, Genesis 3, just watch how this works. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and God comes for them. Now watch the relationship. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Let's just stop for a second. Let's just ask some questions here, okay? Where are they? Just answer for me in the text. We're observing. Glasses on, okay? Where are they? They're in the garden. They're in the garden where God always walked with them. They're in the very place where they had this special relationship with God. But that relationship doesn't exist anymore. Not only where are they, but what are they doing in the garden? Hiding, okay. We don't go to a garden to hide. We kind of go to our garden and say, either to harvest something or to look or to, or to relax, but they're hiding in this very special place. Why are they hiding? You can say it, because they're afraid, because the text says they were naked, right? I know you're afraid to say that word in church, but you can okay, they were naked, okay? Here's the picture, they all of a sudden realize something about themselves they had never known before. All the naivety is gone. This is how sin works, right? Sin all of a sudden promises you something, when you get over there you say, whoa, I didn't know that was gonna happen, okay? This is the picture of how this relationship is broken, I don't miss this. Who is it that pursues who in the garden? God pursues Adam and Eve. He pursues them physically. Where are you? Coming out, coming out. And he pursues them spiritually with questions. Look at the questions. Here they come. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Okay. The answer to that question is Just give me the answer. The answer is yes. And the man said yes. That's what we did. No, that's not what he said. Notice what he said, the woman who he gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. All of a sudden, if you're thinking in terms of relationships, you're observing that when we are suddenly confronted with our own sin, the first thing we do is point to somebody else. This happens all the time. You and I are simply observing things in the text. And the one thing you wanna understand about the whole Bible, and it starts right here, is that the Bible is a story about God pursuing us even when we run and hide, that's the story. Okay, that's just a quick look at how you're gonna observe history. Let's talk about poetry and prophecy. I'm gonna put the two of those together. How many of you have a song, a favorite song, that you just hear on the radio and all of a sudden it takes you back to a moment like in high school or something? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All all the older people are raising their hands and all the other kids are saying, uh, I'm still in high school. Okay. The point is this, that music moves us when we hear it. It sometimes moves us to the point of tears. Sometimes it moves us to the point of excitement. Music moves us. And when you think in terms of poetry, the Hebrews wrote their poetry and it was often to music, or it was wisdom literature, Um, and it was to observe. When you look at poetry and prophecy, I want you to observe the emotion, okay? You want to observe the emotion. You can observe the emotion both in God and in man. Now, for a moment, just let me clarify something. You might have grown up thinking God doesn't have emotion. God is, in the Bible, referred to at times, you'll see in a moment, as angry, compassionate, loving, okay? So God has emotion. He doesn't embrace it like we embrace it. You and I kind of just make our decisions based upon emotion. God doesn't work like that, but that doesn't mean he is not emotional. Let me show you that. So we're reading the Psalms, one of the poetic books. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Sounds like we're about to hear God is compassionate, right? God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. What? When I'm observing, when I have my glasses and I'm reading the Psalms, I'm all of a sudden saying, whoa, I just learned something about God. Now, I don't know what it means yet, but I'm just observing. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. God looks like a God of war in Psalm 7. Let me fast forward you to the book of Zephaniah. That's a prophetic book, right? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice rejoice over you with singing. Have you ever pondered that? That God sings over us? Like, I've written a couple of songs for Kim in my lifetime, right? When I sing those, that's expressing something to her. Y- you and I have a God who rejoices over us with singing. Wow. See that whole idea that it affects our emotions. Now, watch this. Those five books that start the Poetics series are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They, if you read them, you'll sense and feel the emotion from them. Observe, observe. Let's take the book of Job, for instance, Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Oz. His name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Sounds like a great story, right? Except as you begin to read that story, here's what I want you to see. Observe the emotion, and if I could be so bold as to say it, let the story take you so that you actually feel the emotion. Because when you jump to the end of the first chapter, you discover that Job's lost everything he had. He lost his trucking industry, those are the camels. He lost his sheep, that's his means of living. He lost everything that he had, even though he was a wealthy man. And then the moment comes where we read in Job 1.18, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, ten of them, seven sons, three daughters. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you, whoa, just let that settle in. I remember some time ago, my uncle told me the story of a good friend of his. He and his uh wife, he was a businessman, he was a doctor, actually, he was a doctor, but he had a small farm that he liked to toy with, and he had three sons, and the three sons and he were working over there, harvesting hay, it was just kind of more of a hobby than anything. And the boys said to him, listen, Dad, we're going to run to town and get something to eat, and Dad says, sure, go ahead, um, bring me back something. And the kids left in the car, a car, T-boned them, all three boys were killed. Now, you feel... That weight, you feel the emotion of that. This is what you should feel when you read Job. There is so much anguish here. But notice what else we read. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. See, if you sense and feel the emotion, you observe the emotion that you should feel in the poetic literature, then all of a sudden it opens your eyes to, whoa, he did what? And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. When you observe the poetic and prophetic literature, look for the emotion that's packed in it. One final thing, the letters. 22 of them, if you count the book of Revelation in the New Testament, And when we're making observation there, when we're putting on our glasses, if I could just give you one thing to look for, in the letters, observe the action words. Those are verbs, okay? In the letter, observe the action words. Now, I know there's a lot more to look at in the Bible than this. I'm trying to simplify it as briefly as I can, all right? If I could give you just three things to look for, here they were, look for relationships, look for emotion, and look for the action words. And I like that emotional aspect, just to back up the train for a second, because the Bible is not a dull book it's a book about real people with real relationships, with real struggles, and a God who's reaching for them. In the letter, look for the action words. Let me show you an example of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the text reads, be diligent or study to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is one of the letters from the New Testament. Just look at the action words, be diligent. The word actually means to act speedily, to not say, I'll get to it someday, but to pick up your Bible and say, I want it now. To present yourself, the word actually means peristime, to, to para alongside, to stand, whoa, to stand before God, approved, just this reminder from the text that you and I will one day stand before God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, but we don't want to stand there and say, I had your Bible, but I never read it, Okay. Note this, and we know what the whole context is because it says rightly dividing the word of truth. That's observation, we'd look for the action words. Okay, here we go, let's talk about interpretation. Observation says, what do you see? Interpretation says, what does it mean? Now note this, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, notice the end of this phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. If the word can be rightly divided, then it can also be what? Ah. Then it can also be wrongly divided, which means when you and I come to it, we got to be careful, okay? So let me take you back to Bible Town. Bible Town, your town. Bible Town, your town, okay? There's Bible Town. This is what the Bible says. This is your town. This is where you're living, okay? Um, You might think, okay, I need to know what the Bible means. I read the passage. I want to know what it means. I want to know what it means for me, okay? That's the wrong approach, Say, wait a minute! I got to know what it means for me. Hold on, that's not as important as knowing what it means for the biblical character to whom it was written. Remember, you got this river between you. You got this river of time and culture and all of these things. You just don't grab the verse and say, "This is what it means to me." You look at the verse and you say, "Okay, I want to rightly divide it. Therefore, I must know what did it mean for the person to whom it was initially written." That's important because there's time between you and them. There's a cultural difference. There's a, there, there, there's a custom difference. There's all kinds of things. Like when they take off their sandal and they throw it down, you say, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that, okay? So what did it mean to the people for whom it was initially written? In fact, a way to say this is, remember, you are separated from the biblical audience by culture and customs, language, situation, and a vast expanse of time. Now, right now, you're saying, Phil, what's the use, right. Oh, hold on, I'm going to help you, help you. But just let me show you how ancient this book is. Because you look at it and say, wow, it doesn't feel ancient, it is ancient. So ancient, in fact, that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy before King Tut was born. And if you're reading, let's see, the book of the Psalms, for instance, and you're reading about King David, King David was writing before the Great Wall of China was built. And if you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, you're reading before the Roman Colosseum was constructed. What you have in your hands is an incredibly ancient book. Now, is it pertinent and meaningful to us today? Absolutely, but that's why we pause and say, what did it mean to them? Before I ask, what does it mean to me? You say, well, how am I gonna know that? Okay, I knew you were gonna ask that question. So you live in a generation that is filled, absolutely filled, with the ability to know more about the Bible than at any other time in history. I'm just going to introduce you to one resource today. I'm going to introduce you to a study Bible. If you don't have one, I'm going to talk about four for you real quickly, okay? And I'm going to give you one sentence or two about each one, okay? So let me start with the ESV study Bible. By the way, um, you say, that Bible is way too big for me. I can't carry that, all right? That's because it's not just the Bible, but it's also their notes, their images, their diagrams that are going to help you cross this river of culture, language, and time. It's going to say, this is what it meant to them. The ESV Study Bible, I like, but bear in mind, this is different than a translation. This is a study Bible. The translation is the translation above the line. The study notes are what's going on below the line when you open up that particular Bible, okay? And the ESV Study Bible I like especially because it kind of marks, walks you through the story of salvation, how God is pursuing people all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. That's its strength. It's scholarly, it's uh, powerful, that's a good one. Uh, You may remember, some of you picked up this one when Gene Getz was here, the Life Essentials Study Bible. And that's helpful because Gene does a really nice job of captivating how the Old Testament works with the New Testament. That's valuable. And he's also got those little uh, QR codes in there where you can actually flip your phone and watch him preach. Okay, so some of you picked up that one. That's helpful if you want to know more about the Bible. Some of you may have or have heard of the MacArthur Study Bible. What makes MacArthur Study Bible so effective is he does a lot of job, with cross, a really good job of cross-referencing. When you open up his notes, you're going to see that in the notes section, over and over again, there's more and more verses to look up. That's a great way to do it because if you want to know what, what God as the author intended, the best way to understand that is to look at what he's saying in the rest of the Bible. Those are your cross-references. And then perhaps what is my favorite, and the one I always keep coming back to, is the Life Application Study Bible, because I feel like it does what I need it to do across both, all realms. It helps me observe certain things, it helps me interpret certain things, and then it just asks me questions of application. So if you don't have a study Bible, that's a helpful way to get over that river, to understand how wide the river is. Here's your second question. What did God, as the author, intend for it to mean? And this is so important before you just says, this is what it means to me, okay? Now, I've played this game with you before, but let me just do it again, real quickly. How many of you have had someone say, hey, I heard what you said, and, and you said, well, I never said that, and then they told you what was said, and you said, "Oops, that is what I said, but it's not what I meant, okay? Why, because words mean certain things. Words have meaning, okay? They're valuable that way. And all a person had to do to take away what you meant was to take your statement and quote you out of context and then give its own context and then they just change the meaning. And though you actually said that exact thing, they altered the meaning just by shifting the context. This is so important. The best way you and I can understand what God's original meaning was is to use the cross references that are in your Bible, that's other passages to look up to make sure you understand what God intended by what he meant. I had a great grandmother who never only made it to junior high. She had to drop out of junior high high school to start to to care for her family, and she lived up to be into her 90s. But she was a wise woman, and when she heard preaching, this was what she said, the poor Lord, he gets blamed for so many things. Which means people look at the Bible and say, I have a word for the Lord from you. But they may not have interpreted what God was actually saying. They were not after his intention or meaning. Last word, application. What should you do, okay? What do you see, what does it mean, what should you do? What do you see, what does it mean, what should you do? And here's the final section for us. Let me just take you back to that story again. You have Bible Town with all of its people and all of its characters. You've observed them, you've studied them, you've learned something about Bible Town, but you're saying, I'm still over here in my town with my McDonald's and and my cell phone that keeps going off and all the things I gotta get done today, and what am I supposed to do? And so what we wanna do is we wanna build what we call the bridge of application. And just let me show you this in 2 Timothy chapter three. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In four words, you have everything you need to know about application. Here it is, teaching. Teaching is about right belief. It's the word that's used to speak about doctrine. It's it's a word that says, this is what we believe, and it's the right thing to believe. You have the word rebuke, that word you automatically recognize. A word rebuking means you rebuke someone if you're correcting their wrong actions. So we have teaching, we have rebuking, we also have correcting, which is a word that's used in the Bible to talk about correcting wrong beliefs. Ooh, just saw something, didn't we? Right beliefs, wrong beliefs. Correcting wrong actions, and finally, training in righteousness is training in right actions. So now you know how the application process works. You're asking two questions, here they are. How do my beliefs need to change? How do my beliefs need to change? And how do my attitudes and actions need to change? That's it, pure and simple. How do my beliefs need to change? You open up the Bible, you observe certain things in the, in the text that you're reading, you begin to interpret it using maybe a study Bible, some help to understand what it meant to them, and now you're saying, what am I supposed to do with this? Is there something I'm supposed to change in how I believe? And how do my attitudes and actions need to change? And we know that because we take a verse, like Hebrews 13:5, he will never leave you nor forsake you. You read that verse into a, into a day in your town that you're very worried and anxious about something. And you're saying, whoa, I'm not out here alone. God will not leave me. He will not forsake me. You say, but Phil, you don't know who I work for. Then read the rest of the verse, okay? You need not fear what man can do to you. See how your beliefs need to change. Your attitudes and actions need to change. That's the process. One final thing, here we go, okay? Here's the bridge of application and you'll notice that the little man now is standing at a crossroads. He's standing there on a road and he wants to know the right way to go. Fortunately, because he was in Bible town that morning, because he was in Bible town, because he observed things, because he interpreted things, because he applied things, he all of a sudden realizes he's on the wrong road. Now, how many of you have used your GPS before, okay? How many of you using your GPS have been driving someplace and all of a sudden you missed your turn and what did the little voice say to you? Recalculating. Just say that with me, okay? Recalculating. Now say it as many times as she says it. You can even use a little English accent if you want, okay? Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Okay? Because it's recalculating to put you back on the right road. This is the truth. Okay? Every morning you open this book up, you are recalculating. The other day I was driving up the turnpike having a great conversation. I know where exit three is, but I was having this great conversation with my daughter. There went exit three, I could see it in my rearview mirror, okay. My GPS starts to tell me recalculating, and I'm thinking, I don't have time to even recalculate. I even pondered if I could just get off the turnpike and drive up over the curb, right? But it was too late. There I was, recalculating. I was all the way out here and all the way back. That's a perfect image of your spiritual life. You and I, if we don't pay attention every day, we get so far off the path that there's a serious recalculation to get back. That's why every morning, every morning, Every afternoon, every evening, whenever you find your time, you want to be here recalculating. In fact, I even got a phrase for you. Here it is GPS. You know what that is? God's perfect strategy. That's what it is, okay? The spiritual GPS of your time in the Word is God's perfect strategy. He says, recalculating, recalculating. I'm bringing you back, I'm bringing you back, I'm bringing you back. That's why it's important you're in the Word. Now, last week, we introduced you to the Kairos Journal, the Kairos Journal. Um, that Pete and Jordan had created. And I went back to my journal and noticed something. This was after I developed the message, okay? I noticed that when you come to the part where you open up the word, it actually gives you three questions that do this very same process. Look at this, this is great. Uh, observation, here's the question. What was said or read? When you open up your Bible and you open up your journal, what was said or read? You're observing, right? Not only that, I believe. what do I believe God is saying through this? You're interpreting. What does God mean by it? And finally, this last question, what was I doing or what should I be doing, you're applying. That's why we wanted you to get into the Word for yourself and we gave that, put that tool out for you last week so that you could get there. Now, I got some really cool news, okay? The couple that developed the journal, okay, we're not done with the message, I'm done with my part, okay, the couple that developed the journal are here with us today. They happen to live in Medford, New Jersey, so you've been using their resource, you didn't know that, and Pastor Scott's going to come and talk them through uh, some of the ways that came into being. So Pete and Jordan, welcome, we are so glad you're here at Fellowship Bible Church this morning. Uh, welcome them with us, okay, that'd be great, thanks. So Pastor Scott's going to talk you guys through uh, how you came about it, and how it's supposed to be used. And those journals will be available to you out front after the service again this morning if you didn't get one. I'm going to slide you guys this way so that you're kind of in the light, all right? There you go. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Uh, uh, I was trying to get all that stuff written down, but was unsuccessful. But um, We will try to get those notes posted if they are not uh, already up. Uh, Pete, Jordan, thanks for being with us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. Are you on there? Let me just see if I can. My bad. Should have turned that on for you. Uh, Pete, it seems like uh, forever ago you and I met for lunch uh, back in the fall in October um, and just started to talk through the possibility of how we could use this tool at our church. Um maybe you guys could just real quick, because there's a lot of different opinions out there um, on what I should be doing with my time in the Lord and whether or not I should be writing things down or what my process should be for that. And some of you might say, I'm not a journaler. I could never do this. Um, Some of you might think that. So um, just real quick for you guys, how did this journal come about? How did we get to the point where we are today?
2: Yeah. um, So I grew up journaling through the Bible. Uh, My dad was Uh, very adamant that we would sit down even at 10 years old, read a psalm and spend 15 minutes and then write. And at that age, I read the psalm in 15 seconds and didn't know what I was doing. But I actually found that old journal and saw that I was writing some decent things as a 10-year-old. But fast forward to being in my 30s, uh, I had been using the journal process again to read the Bible. But when we had our first child, Ellie, uh, that all fell through the window. I didn't know all the focus would be gone, I didn't know that. I mean, I I expected the tiredness, but the time with the Lord to go out the window like that I didn't prepare for. And so I knew I had to get back to a structure, and it really came in this moment of frustration. Um, Prior to having Ellie, I was consistently journaling, and in this moment of of frustration right after being a new dad, um, all the thoughts about the journal just kind of came to me in this moment, and the structure that I had never really structured came to me as well. And I ran over to our table and I just started drawing out what was coming, what was flooding my mind that morning, that day. And um, I showed it to Jordan and she was like, this is really cool. And then time went on. And it wasn't until about a month later, she was on a run listening to a sermon and she's like, Pete, I really feel like the Lord is telling me to give you space to create. Didn't know it was going to be the Kairos Journal at that time. Um, and from there in 2019, I really pursued it, brought it to my small group and we launched it on Kickstarter and kind of went from there. Wow. That's awesome.
0: And I know so many people uh, across the US that are using it now, many friends of mine also. So just like in 60 seconds or less, if you can do it, if someone's opening the journal for the first time, what should they do? How should they think about the layout and how should they kind of process each section?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So we, we made the journal so that the left side gets you ready for the right side. And, um, we are oversaturated, I think you said super saturated, with media, with content. And if we wake up in the morning and we grab our phone, which I would highly suggest not doing, at least if you can try, uh, but we do that, and then we go into the Word. Um, I'm reading the Bible, thinking about LeBron James, cat videos, um, Metaverse, and now I'm in the Psalms. Did you, say, did you say cat videos? Yeah, I mean, I'm a cat that, video guy myself. Is that a normal thing for you For me morning? personally, yeah, around lunch break, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we, we made the left side so that you could filter all that out through prayer, Um, Through gratitude, through um, what are the three things? Yeah, verse of the day to memorize, and then also an intention for the day. So you kind of set your heart right before you go in time with the Lord.
0: Yeah, and I've really appreciated that Um, doing the journal definitely since you and I have met, even a little bit before that. And I love the fact that it's all one page, Uh, it's just a great way to visualize it. Uh, Jordan, I think you had mentioned at one point um, that you were never a journaler. Um, but now you are. So how did that transition come about? Because usually it's guys that aren't, you know, the journalers, and sometimes women are more geared that way, but it's kind of opposite for you guys. How did that happen?
3: No, Pete has journals for days. When we traveled and backpacked, he still has all his journals. and I'm that person, like, this time of the year that I go and I get a fresh journal, and then I keep it for three days, and then I break that habit. And I just... I could never do the consistency. I think for me, journaling always felt like it was a really good idea and I know there's benefits to it, but it just felt like extra work. And I think, I mean, even listening to Phil today, I was thinking, you know, I was that person, I was raised Jewish, so I didn't start reading the Bible until my 20s and I had those questions like, where do I start? How do I even read the Bible? And so to think of journaling as like an additional step felt like more work to me, (laughs) not something that was actually gonna help me dig into the word more, Um, but it was during that time, like Pete said, when we had our daughter, where my Bible time, my devotional time, was almost like I was just checking something off my list in the morning, and I was like, okay, I just need to do the Bible plan on my phone, and then 30 minutes later, I totally forgot what I was even reading in the first place, and so I had seen him start this structure and process, and really saw the transformation, And I was like, okay, I want whatever he's doing. And like you said, we—I mean, we printed these out at Staples and handed them to our Bible study. This was, this was just something that was impacting our own lives, and we shared with others. And then it kind of led to the Kickstarter, and now this is what we do full time. And it's—it's it's been a blessing because it's not just helping us, you know, spend time in the Word every day, but I think it's really having real transformation because it's a very simple structure I think it just helps you to spend more time rather than like adding an extra burden
0: yeah absolutely and there's some days where I write a lot and there's some days I only write a couple sentences and so don't feel like like when you hear journal you might think oh my goodness I'm going to be writing for hours and hours you know writing and writing and writing just write a sentence or two and there's something cool about going back to look at stuff that God taught you weeks or months ago and see where he's brought you since then. Um, maybe Jordan, could you answer for me, um, the back of the journal, what's, what's the purpose of that? How does that have real power, real weight? How does the back of the journal kind of help tie the front of the journal together?
3: Okay, I love this. And he probably has something to add too. But I think even what you just said of, it's letting the Holy Spirit lead, right? Like you're in the Word and it's, sometimes I have pages where I'm in the margins and sometimes I only have a few sentences. Um, but the, the right side, you know, we talked about the left setting you up. But the right side is really that reflection. So, not just while you're studying it, but having a record of what the Lord's doing in your heart and in your life ongoing. Um, so that you can look back and be like, wow, even in that really, really tough season or even in that struggle, look at what the Lord was doing. Or like, look what he put on our heart way back last year that is coming to fruition now, or the prayers that have been answered. Um, and so the benefit of that weekly reflection part is to really have a log and look at, like, how is the Lord moving? What am I learning about him? What has he revealed to me in my life? Um, and, and to celebrate answered prayers and how he's working because I think at the end of the day, like, you know, we can talk about the work, hires and things, but we believe that God wants to be in a relationship with us every day and not just this distant God. So to celebrate every single day and see the... I guess, the whole story come together. You know, we're talking about how to read the Bible as one whole story. Um, our lives are like that. So the reflection part, I think, is seeing the whole, the whole story come together. Yeah,
0: cool. Okay. Um, maybe just one, one last question here. Um, you know, this is something I struggle with, Pete. Um, I have to continually resist the temptation to check the boxes um, and, and just do it to do it. I have to continually resist against that but oftentimes, too, after I've had my time with the Lord in the morning, by the time I get to work, by the time I get into the flow of the day, I may have completely forgotten what I looked at in the morning in my time with the Lord. Have you, do you have any practical suggestions on how to keep what you've looked at in the morning kind of with you throughout the day?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the most important. Important thing is holding on to that memory verse and you know we we know we're super saturated with media and if we could just take a small percentage of that out of our day and so whether it's something as simple as listening to the radio at work or at lunch break maybe you you don't watch cat videos like me but you do something else for your break if you can um, just remove that one habit because they're all habits right brushing your teeth is a habit and replace it with that that word that you're memorizing we know what the word does to our mind. It renews our mind. And I think that those small changes incrementally over time can really add up. And it doesn't have to be a huge change. You don't have to make a, you don't have to remove your entire evening of whatever you like to watch on Netflix, but even just throughout the day, if you can cut some small things out that you're like, you know, I don't need to listen to the radio today on the way to work. I'll just think about that verse that I was memorizing Mm -hmm. and just let the Lord go from there. Yeah, good thought.
3: And the one thing I'd add to that is actually, like we use Kairos, I think, you know, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, if you have you know, other people, even just an accountability partner, I think one of the, the biggest transformations we saw when we first started using it was, we were excited to share our Kairos moments and what we were reading. And I think that helps to, to verbalize and to share it with someone else, not just to write it down, helps you to remember and, and think of, really have to, I don't know, communicate what the Lord's doing or speaking or putting on your heart. Um, so I think just in our own marriage, being able like, like, oh, guess what I read today? Or, like, help. Like, I don't know. I think that, that has helped me to think about it throughout the day, too.
0: Awesome. Yeah, definitely writing it down and just reinforcing it in your mind that way is, is so huge. Um, so I use the digital uh, Kairos journal. I bought it. Uh, months and months ago I, I've been using that I use the PDF because I use my iPad to, to write it in so that's with me all the time mm. which is a cool thing that I go back and reflect on but whatever works for you the principles behind it is what's important even if you're not using a Kairos journal the principles behind it are what imp- is what is important and what we really want you to focus on uh, let's have a word of prayer uh, we're gonna specifically pray for uh, Pete Jordan and and the Kairos ministry And then we'll wrap up with a couple additional thoughts. Why don't we pray? Father, we recognize uh, the utter need for all of us to be tethered to you through the word. And we recognize, Lord, that oftentimes in our lives when there's turmoil or dysfunction, it's because we are not tethered to the word, and we're believing lies. So, Lord, I pray that as we go deeper into your word over these next 40 days, as we seek to internalize your word, memorize it, and bring to you, Lord, our requests, Lord, and all these things that it would just deepen our desire for you, that truly, Lord, we would Taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Lord, may it just stir in our hearts, stir in the hearts of our church, our church family, a deep desire to know Jesus. So, Father, I pray for transformation in our church. I pray, Lord, for revival in our church. Would you do it, Lord, through your word as we draw closer to you? I pray this in Jesus' name just a couple additional things before we uh, let you guys get out of here this morning Um, important things we want to mention to you relating to what's happening here at the church we'll make this quick Um, don't forget that uh, we've made these Kairos journals available uh, to you and they are at a deeply discounted price from what you would have to pay for online and um, you can get them for 10 bucks And we had, we sold out last week. We had to run up and and get some more this week. I'd love to be able to say that again, that we sold out this week, and we'll have to come up and see you guys again this week. Um, But they're available, and you can buy as many as you want. Um, If you weren't here last week, um, I would encourage you to uh, pick one or two up, and they'll be available in the uh, foyer before you guys leave today. Uh, Our ladies' studies have started up this week, Finding God Faithful. It's taking place on Tuesdays, 9.30 and 6.30. We would encourage you ladies to participate in that if you haven't already. And also our women's discipleship Bible studies have also jumped up. Uh, they're happening, and if you're not participating in that, don't think, well, I didn't go last week, I can't go this week. Not true, you can jump in anytime. Our men's discipleship groups, uh, this week, they are all full and up and running. So, all you guys that are uh, signed up for a men's D group, um, they will be starting this week, and likely your D group leader will be reaching out to you in the next 24 hours um, with some further instruction for this week. Starting today, Right after our service, we go into our winter whiteboard session. Whiteboard is an opportunity to go a little deeper in your understanding of the scripture, and uh, we're going to be studying 1st and 2nd Peter starting today. So that's going to be in room 206 as soon as we're done this morning. You can join us over there and if you want to learn more about 1st and 2nd Peter, Uh, Join us for Persevering with Hope, our fall whiteboard class. Don't forget also our missionary dinner is happening later this month on the 29th, A Light to the Nations. Uh, Many of you have already signed up to participate in the missionary dinner. Please sign up for that on the Church Center app or our website. That is going to be an awesome time where we continue to enlarge your vision with what God is doing around the world through FBC Missions. So please sign up for that on the Church Center app or on our website. Don't forget that our uh, marriage boot camp is happening um, on February the 12th with Matt Hammett, and it's also a concert. It's a boot camp, marriage boot camp, and it's a concert. So Matt Hammett is the former lead singer of Sanctus Real, and uh, he'll be with us on the 12th. This is, if you're married or you're engaged or you're thinking about marriage one day, this is like a necessity. Um, we, we do these boot camps to really enrich and grow your marriages. And we would love for all of you um, that are in those scenarios to join us for that day. You can sign up for that in the Church Center app or on our uh, website. If you're a visitor here this morning, boy, you picked a great Sunday to be with us. And we're so thankful that you're here. Don't just jet. If you're a visitor, don't just jet. Um, find someone to say hi to. And definitely before you leave, stop by the Welcome Center. And we've got a special gift for you, and we're just thankful that you're here this morning. Don't forget, if you'd like to pick up a Kairos Journal, you can pick those up on the way out. And also, if you need a spiritual discipline challenge postcard, those are also available. All right. Thank you. We're also going to have a fellowship time uh, this morning, so we got some uh, some beverages down front here. So we got some coffee, we got some water. Um, so don't feel like you got to run out of here. Kickoff is until like one o'clock. You know, plenty of time, plenty of time. So um, thanks for being here with us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a great morning. Help us, Lord, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Help us, Lord, to do what you've asked us to do, to be obedient to the Holy Spirit as he's moved us this morning. As we exalt Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.